Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the award-winning Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics, and Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network. They are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world and joining us to talk about sleepers and some of the players he's planting his flag on for 2020 is Christopher Harris, the proprietor of Harris football and one of the OGs of the fantasy football industry. Chris, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. You know, it's nice to have on the show finally a, a Chris who knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to that. I think Raybot's pretty smart. I got to let him know. I'm not going to let him steamroll. <laughs> Hey, Friedman, I know you heard the reports of Dan Arnold being quote-unquote dominant in practice. Well, well AJ, AJ Dillon may not be a factor early in the year for the uh, Packers. I know you heard those reports. I, I have nothing to say. I'm just – I'm wallowing in shame over here. Chris Harris, it is uh, great to have you back on the show. We've had a Thank fantastic you. run of, uh, of shows recently. We've had Evan Silva, Ian Hardin, Stinny Carter, Matt Harmon, Mike Taglier, Graham Barfield, Jake Seeley, Dave Richard, and Sigmund Bloom, and then now we have you. It's just piling greatness – upon greatness. So uh, really looking forward to this episode. And earlier this week, we put out our uh, annual Fantasy 101 show. All of those episodes are great. Check them out as well as the rankings and the up-to-minute projections in the Fantasy Football Cheat Sheet at Action Network. So today with Chris, we were talking about fantasy football sleepers. People, if you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Chris, I want to talk about your, your rankings, your projection process. What are the stats you use? What are the things you prioritize when you're evaluating players? Well, I'm not the stat guy, right? So I'm certainly looking at stats, but I'm not going to use a lot of models and Excel formulas and stuff like that to come out with. I don't do projections. I respect the projection process. I worked for ESPN at eight years. I had to do projections. And for a long time, I didn't necessarily love it, but I did them. You know, what it came down to was guessing who was going to get carries and who guessing who was going to get targets. And really your, your model can be great and it can have a nice sense of, you know, team pace, total offensive snap numbers. I understand all the mechanics that go into them. In the end, it comes down to guessing about depth charts and guessing about percentages of timeshares and things like that, and it's gotten worse. So really, I'm not so much doing that as I am watching film. I mean, you guys know that I, like, that's what I do all through the entire season. I watch every game every week, talk about them on my show, and then spend the summer, spring and summer, uh, re-watching a lot of film and writing my almanac thing. And that's really the basis on which I try to evaluate, of course, situation and depth chart and understanding who else is there and all, you know, it all factors in. And it's not the same to have a running back on the Jets as it is on the Chiefs. Like, clearly, situation matters. In my process, try to de-accentuate that as much as I possibly can and try to talk about, in my mind, usually that talent wins and can shine even in situations we think might not be great, plus 
we make mistakes on situations so often every single year. You know, we could rewind the tape and talk about the offenses we thought were going to be terrible last year. I'm pretty sure the 49ers would run it. So my rank process isn't, I would say, quantitative in the sense uh, that that means these days, while, of course, understanding the context for, for where these talents are. So we're going to be identifying all of our sleepers at every position. Um, I'm just curious, Chris, what, what is your definition of what it means to be a sleeper? I mean, this year, maybe more than any other I can remember, ADP is just feels like it's completely broken, that it's completely different depending on what site you go to. Maybe that has something to do with people being slow to get back to fantasy, and therefore maybe there isn't as much data on all these sites. Maybe their respective... Uh, maybe you guys have theories, but m- maybe their respective methodologies and or just scoring systems are veering apart so greatly that or they're counting data from different ranges of time. But I, I have found very difficult to find any kind of consensus ADP, which leads right into the question of what a sleeper is, because I think sleepers are based on value. Sleepers are based on where, you know, where you're getting them. And, and if we are all working on completely different ADPs and I go, oh man, Cortland Sutton, what a sleeper. And you're like, what are you talking about? He's going exactly where he should go. It's, it, it, it at least leads to a complicated conversation, I think. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I think, you know, it, it's a buzzy word and, and people like to hear it, but it, it varies. But I am, I am kind of interested, Chris, in um, some of your flag players because you recently uh, released your 10 flag players. And, and before we kind of dive into the sleepers, who are some of the high round uh, non-sleeper guys that you like? Yeah, and even even you could argue, like, it, again, it's a great question because, like, what's a sleeper, right? It, can a sleeper be in the fifth round? I guess if I have a third round grade on him and I can get him in the fifth, is that a sleeper? Yeah, right? it's like, it's, it's like, is it a value play? Is it a sleeper? It's that's right. Right, that's exactly, yeah. That's exactly right. So early on, I, you know, I like Cortland Sutton a lot this year. It feels like I'm ending up with him an absolute ton. I understand the variables of the situation you know I don't know if Drew Locke is good and what Drew Locke did at the end of last year wasn't really what we expected out of Drew Locke it was like not deep and it was controlled and it was like kind of checked down and that would be weird if that's what Drew Locke turns out to be what we thought Daniel Jones was and Daniel Jones turns out to be what we thought Drew Locke would be but Sutton just I you know I just did a YouTube breakdown on him showing plays from last year holy moly that kid is something else almost every game you can find a catch just a 50-50 ball every 50-50 ball to him is like an 80-20 ball really good. So anyway, he, he'd be in that list. Like I'm getting Devin Singletary in the fifth and, and liking that a lot. Zach Moss is, is an unknown. And I know I just did radio in Rochester uh, yesterday or the day before, and they're so excited about Zach Moss. And they're actually kind of mad at me for liking Devin Singletary so much. And I go, I, like, I get what the variables are and I'm dra- not drafting Singletary expecting that he has an 80% work share, but I have a hard time believing that the bills would watch what happened last year and decide, let's not make that guy the focus of what we do on the ground like I, I Moss might steal some touchdowns and he might play more than you feel awesome with but I I think Singletary touches it 15 times a game because I think he's awfully good uh who else Adam Thielen I think is going too late relative to you know there's all sorts of arguments for work share and you know how is he not going to be among the leaders and targets if he stays healthy and all that stuff and then it just sort of puts aside the fact that he's good he's really good and he's a touchdown maker he just has that thing and you know he was the wide receiver seven when he got hurt last year like I think he could be there are probably some other guys too but those are three that come to mind on the flag list so I'm I'm with you very much on Cortland Sutton uh he's a guy I, I find myself uh inordinately high on this year uh and part of it is that you know I do think that Denver offense is going to be better this year than it was last year and you know ideally we would see some progression out of uh, Drew Locke as he moves into his second season so I think there's a, a lot to be enthusiastic about when it comes to to Cortland Sutton uh let's get into our sleepers and uh, let's start at the quarterback position I don't know if there's a guy or two who really stands out to you at the position that you think, you know, whether this guy technically qualifies as a sleeper, like maybe he's going in the later rounds or, you know, maybe he's in the middle rounds, but I just see an inordinate amount of value in him. Who are some guys who stand out to you at quarterback? Cam Newton is the first one that um, he, he's the only quarterback that made my little 10 player flag list that I've been doing forever and ever and ever. Like now I have listeners to my show going, I grew up with your flag list. And I go, that means I'm old. Uh, but you know, it's like 10 guys that I, that I'm planning a flag on liking, you know, just saying at their value, I really like these guys. And Newton's the only quarterback who made that list. Um, I think his ADP's probably, it's hard to know because ADP's kind of broken, but I think it's kind of coming up right now. And yet still, I don't think he's being treated as a top 12 quarterback. And I, I would, I just, especially at that position in most leagues, it just doesn't matter. Like 
take the chance, take the high upside guy, take Cam Newton over Kirk Cousins for heaven's sake. Like you don't need safe to take, shoot the moon. And if Cam Newton is hurt or not good or can't run or whatever, you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, I'll say, I, I just did this CBS draft like uh, right before we started. And, and it's a, it's an IDP like 27 round thing we've been doing for years with the guys from CBS and it, you only, this is not super flex. You only start one quarterback, but the leagues are, are very, it's a very deep, very deep rosters. And I got, Aaron Rodgers as my backup to Deshaun Watson and like it must have been the 17th round or something and it and, and I understand what all the problems are with Aaron Rodgers but if some of those 19 Aaron Jones touchdowns aren't running touched like if Devontae Adams doesn't keep getting tackled the one you know Aaron Rodgers spent the whole season through four interceptions I know he was frustrated and frustrating and I know the receiving door core doesn't seem great but if Adams stays healthy Rodgers to me belongs in the top dozen quarterbacks all right, Sean, where are you on quarterbacks that you think have that sleeper potential this year? The first guy is Carson Wentz. And I don't specifically go out of my way to get him in a lot of drafts. I think that I've said that if I don't get one of the top six quarterbacks, um, I typically punt on quarterback and, you know, either planning streaming it or, you know, get a guy that falls a bit later. But I do think Carson Wentz has the potential to be a top five quarterback. And, I mean, if you look at last season – he finished as a QB nine, despite, you know, all the injuries they had at wide receiver. So I think with the added depth, um, you know, Jalen Rager apparently looks great in camp. Uh, he's going to get Deshaun Jackson, hopefully for more than one game. And we saw how that worked out last year when he was healthy. Uh, you know, DJX went off for like a hundred, uh, eight catches for a hundred something yards and two touchdowns. So I think having a deep threat or two uh, will definitely help him out. So he's being drafted at QB 10. So he's the kind of guy where if he does fall, I would consider um, taking quarterback. And then the, the other guy is Gardner Minshew. So this is, you know, deeper leagues that draft two quarterbacks. Um, I think he does offer some pretty big upside at, at his ADP of quarterback 23. You know, I've said he, he's going to be this year's Ryan Fitzpatrick where, you know, the, the Jaggers will be in tank mode, but he might be good enough to lead them to, you know, uh, five or six win record and not get the first pick next year. But I think that, you know, he has that chemistry with DJ Chark where they were number one in terms of uh, success rate on deep balls last year. So I think they'll continue that this year. Um, he, he has quite a few weapons and also he has sneaky rushing ability. He was, he had the fifth most um, 30 plus rushing yard games last year. That was more than guys like Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. Um, so I think it's no surprise that, you know, there's two stretches last year where he started um, weeks one through nine, he was QB 12 weeks, 13 through 17, he was QB 14. So he's already flashed that low end QB one upside. So I think taking him at QB 23 is definitely a sleeper play for me. Raybon, where are you here? I've talked about Daniel Jones in the past. Um, the one with him, you know, he, he does have a tough schedule to start. Uh, the guy that I'm really starting to like, and um, the more I dive into it, is a guy we kind of overlook a little bit because he spent the second half of the year hurt. Uh, but Matthew Stafford. Uh, Matthew Stafford is like that one pocket quarterback for me that, you know, I've kind of taken a liking to. I, you know, if you look at his numbers last year, 10.6 A dot. That was way up from the year before with, uh, you know, with the old offensive coordinator. So Daryl Bevel came in and um, they just started swinging it downfield. And so, you know, quarterback average up the target. You know, if you have the same offensive coordinator, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metric that stabilizes very quickly. So I actually expect that to continue. Um, remember the year before he was throwing to guys like Bruce Ellington. And this year you have, you know, Galladay and Jones back. You have, you know, deep threats, you know, Marvin Hall, um, you know, Swift, did, you know, they added Swift. We'll see what's up with his injuries, but um, they really have a, a stacked uh, receiving core. Cephas is having a great camp. So uh, I think Matthew Stafford is going to surprise a lot of people. And I actually, you know, at first I was a little skeptical because he's kind of been so up and down, but looking into the numbers and, and exactly why he was having so much success last year, um, I, I think that it's going to continue. And um, yeah, I love Matthew Stafford this year. I'm with you there on Stafford. I do like that he was super aggressive in attacking downfield last year and he has the players for it. And then he also, I mean, you didn't mention like Danny Amendola. It's not as if like he's someone who changes things, but like he's another like professional receiver, especially like in the slot, uh, someone that I think is kind of a little undervalued and, and rounds out that wide receiver unit. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of good weapons that Stafford has there. Cam Newton, uh, I'm with uh, Chris Harris on that one. Uh, someone who just really stands out to me as being phenomenally undervalued. Given that his shoulder has been surgically repaired, given that he's about a year removed from the foot injury, 
uh, you know, we increasingly are getting reports out of New England that uh, looks like he's locked in to be the week one starter. Uh, if that happens, I think he's going to be the guy who, you know, kind of breaks out this year, even though it seems weird to say that someone who's won an MVP would break out. But, uh, you know, I think people are, are sleeping on him too much given the value uh, that he's shown in the past. And then Ben Roethlisberger, similar situation, a guy who was injured last year who in the past has shown the ability to, to put up fantasy points. And I'm expecting in that offense with the weapons he has, they're going to continue to play fast and to throw at a pretty high rate just as they've done in the past. So, Roethlisberger uh, is someone who stands out to me. Now, uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on running backs, guys that you think of as potential sleepers for 2020. People who I think are coming at good value. So, you know, Daryl Henderson got himself nicked up and we don't really know, right? We could be terribly wounded and he could be fine. If anything, probably if you're in a league that people pay attention to, he could maybe lower his ADP even more. And he was never being drafted as a fantasy starter. And rightly so. Like if you gave me a choice, I like Cam Akers okay. I, I compare Cam Akers to like Lamar Miller. I think he could be a good player, uh, but maybe not an elite player. If you gave me the choice of Cam Akers or Daryl Henderson for the same price, I'm not daft. I never loved Daryl Henderson last year as a fantasy option with Todd Gurley there. I would certainly take Akers, but they're not the same price, obviously. I think Akers is probably about fairly priced, uh, but but Henderson, I think, maybe is a little bit undervalued. I love the idea of going back a year, and when everybody told me how stupid I was for being too low on Daryl Henderson, because he was going to take over for Todd Gurley, because he had all these great qualities, and now this year, they forget that they thought he had all these great qualities. Like, he still has those qualities. He's, we remember him at Memphis. He's a game-breaker. Like, he is super, super, super fast, and uh, should be able to catch it just fine. We all, like, remember that one play he made last preseason against the Cowboys, little wheel route? And Twitter just went bonkers. <laughs> Crazy. Daryl Henderson, sixth round. He really was going fifth, sixth round by the end of last summer. Maybe him and Le'Veon Bell um, makes my list as if I get him in the fifth, sixth round, I'm extremely happy. I don't know. That's kind of early to be considered a sleeper. Maybe that's just like an early good, good value. But it's an excuse for us to talk about the player. And what I'll say is, all right, I guess everybody's decided the Jets have 0% chance of being any better on offense. And all I know about the NFL in my many, 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 many years of watching the NFL is that that's wrong, that teams change all the time when we don't expect it. And in a, in a terrible season in which he got terrible blocking and didn't play well himself, he finished his RB21. And the last I saw in, in kind of the best I could tell among ADPs that, that are broken, he's being priced at RB21 which is the market telling me, no, there's no chance that he could be better. The, the range of possible outcomes do not include him being any better. And I love drafting players who are being valued at the bottom end of their range of possible outcomes. If the Jets are a little bit better, if the Jets are at least as good as the Bengals were last year to make Joe Mixon a pretty good player for fantasy, like then Bell is going to come at a value in the fifth or sixth round. So not exactly a sleeper, but at least maybe kind of a early mid-round value. Sean, uh, who do you like here with sleeper potential? For running backs, I, I define a sleeper as, you know, anybody outside of the top 30. But, you know, realistically, it's, it's mostly backups where they need the starter to get hurt and then, then they'll, you know, crush value. So I didn't want to take guys that need the starter to get hurt. Um, the, the first guy that I picked was Boston Scott. Um, so he's running back 49 right now. I, I mean, that's the same range as guys like Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard. I love targeting those guys. But they, they probably need the starter to get hurt to see any, you know, flex or RB2 value or better. Um, but, you know, whenever I talk about Eagles running backs, I always emphasize that it's, it's impossible to trust any Eagles running back when it comes to Doug Peterson. So, you know, taking Scott at RB49 is sort of buying into that without really needing to take on much risk. Um, uh, last season, Scott, he didn't play his first snap until week six. Um, and, and from that point on, he actually tied for the, the team lead and rush attempts inside the five. He actually converted four of four. So I feel like the Eagles trust him sort of around the goal line, which, you know, that's a massive role to have for running back. But also, you know, it wasn't until about week 14, he became, you know, a part-time player seeing 40 to 50% of the snaps, even when Miles Sanders was healthy. And I think we could see a similar role this year. Um, and I know, Freeman, you, you think Corey Clement might eat, eat into that, which I, I think is true. Again, that goes into the Doug Peterson theory. But, I mean, Boston Scott in that role was the RB9. So we've already seen that potential. That's his ceiling for sure. 
But I think he could carve out a role where he sees flex value, even when Miles Sanders and Corey Clement are healthy. And I just think running back 49, uh, it's definitely worth worth a flyer. And, you know, if Miles Sanders were to miss time, I think Scott would have, you know, definitely have RB2 value. Um, and the, the only other guy I wanted to hit on was Zach Moss. Similar type of situation where I think right out of the gate, I think Moss can have a role big enough to see flex value. You know, the, the latest buzz out of camp is that he, he looks really good in pass protection. So he could play a big role in the passing in passing downs right off the bat. And I do think he will be the goal line back. You know, they used Frank Gore in that role last year, and he went two for 12 in attempts inside the five. So I think they specifically drafted Zach Moss to be that goal line back. And I think he's the type of back where I could see him eventually overtaking Devin Singletary. And, you know, at RB41, I think all of this value adds up to, to him being a great sleeper uh, in that round. Okay, so we've, uh, we've got some, uh, some conflict on the podcast. with, uh, <laughs> with So, Chris, you, you like Singletary. Uh, Sean, you, you like Moss. Rayvon, I think that, that you like Moss, too. I think the question is, is it possible that there's enough fantasy goodness within that Buffalo Bills offense to go around where Singletary still ends up being a guy who has 1,200-ish yards or so, but – uh, we see Moss get the targets, see Moss get more of the touchdowns, and both guys end up having some fantasy value. Rayvon, what do you think? I'm right on board with Moss. I feel like we're in midseason form because me going after Sean, it's like it's, it's tough now because I love Boston Scott as well for the, for the <laughs> same reasons. You know, going back to your question, Friedman, uh, yeah, in Buffalo, you look at the Bills, and I know we've both kind of taken advantage of this you know, they're very consistent and predictable, right? So, you know, when they're, when they're on the road or, or they're playing with, you know, a team that's going to kind of be tough to beat, they're going to play low-scoring games that, that tend to go under the total. Um, you're going to see a very consistent kind of backfield split. You know, they, they got better on offense. I, I know you don't truly believe in Josh Allen, but, you know, Stephon Diggs is going to help a lot. Uh, so I think that team is going to be a very concentrated team in terms of, you know, Singletary is going to get his 16 or 17 touches. Moss is going to get his eight or nine. And then you just have that kind of built in upside of, you know, Moss getting goal line work, um, Singletary getting hurt or whatnot. Um, I do like Pollard as well, though, even though he is playing behind Zeke, because remember, Mike McCarthy made a Ty Montgomery hybrid player a thing at one point. And we all just kind of like have kind of assigned the, you know, as, as Chris Harris talked about, kind of, you know, we're just assigning these uh, carries and targets to players. And we've done that for like Jarwin into Witten and C. Lamb to Randall Cobb. But uh, there is a chance that, uh, a very good chance, actually, I think that, that Pollard kind of enters that mix a little more uh, going on year two. He, he, uh, he led the league in broken tackle rate among running backs. So he broke about half as many tackles as Zeke on a fourth of the workload, essentially. So um, really good player, still good, great uh, situation there. Um, and then a couple more, more like good values. I think Jordan Howard, you know, I know the Dolphins are scary to kind of invest running backs in. I think the offensive line is still going to be yeah, below average to, to bad, but uh, Jordan Howard is, is still going at a price, you know, outside the top 30 in most leagues where, um, there is some upside there because you look at Chan Gailey, and remember, he's the new OC for Miami, and um, he tends to surprise people. You know, he came to the Jets in 2015. No one expected much. They had uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and um, all these kind of weird crew of guys, and the next thing you know, they're pretty good, and, and, and Chris Ivory that year got 16 and a half carries per game, about 18 touches per game, uh, and then the next year, you know, Matt Forte is used kind of in a similar role. You know, people are kind of thinking he's going to retire. So um, that's kind of the role that, that, that we expect for Jordan Howard. I think Matt Breida is actually of value too, but he's more like the Bolao Powell. Um, you know, Gailey has also been a, a very predictable uh, offensive coordinator. So um, at that point, I'm just taking kind of – if I can get kind of free touches and carries uh, at that point in the draft, uh, it's not as big as a risk if, if I'm taking a guy in like the frozen pond tier – and I have to kind of depend on that. So, um, you know, I'm fine with investing a little bit into, into Howard at that price. And I think Sean mentioned Chase Edmonds. you got to take some Chase Edmonds because we know how valuable that uh, the Arizona Cardinals um, backfield can be. You know, and if, if Kenyon Drake has never really handled a full workload over an entire season, and I love Kenyon Drake, um, but his handcuff is pretty cheap, and that's Edmonds. And, um, you know, he was playing every snap 
was Drake. You know, he wasn't really coming out of the game, and that's just something he's never done. And, you know, running backs already have the most elevated chance of an injury. So I think um, Edmonds is someone not to forget about. Remember, he's the guy they kept, uh, you know, and, and Johnson is the guy they, they, they let go. So uh, it looks like they still, you know, they still believe in Edmonds a little more. And if he, if uh, Drake goes down, I think Edmonds will, will kind of see him back in that, in that role that was the reason that we were kind of drafting him late last year as well. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on that Singletary-Moss split. How do you think that's going to play out? And if you think there's enough fantasy potential within that backfield for both guys to end up providing value? The wrong answer for that question for almost every team in the league is the wrong answer would be no, there's no chance. Because I just don't think we know. I think we sit here and decide we know that the Vegas win totals are right and that the, and, and we're wrong, you know, a, a third of the teams will miss their Vegas win total by three games or more. Like, it's just the year to year, super hard to predict. I would f- hesitate to find like more than a few teams that I would answer that question. No, that no, not possible. That offense can't possibly be good enough to sustain two fantasy running backs on the same team. I think Buffalo very clearly qualifies as one that would, if they get, if they're good, if they're good enough, they're about as good as last year, maybe a little better. And which it seems like it's in the range of possible outcomes, then hundred percent Singletary can still be the lead guy can still get his 1,200 yards from scrimmage, can still score six touchdowns, and then Zach Moss can get whatever from scrimmage and score eight touchdowns. Like if, and, and Josh Allen runs less. I, you know, I don't know. If, I've heard him say that. I don't believe anything players really say. But the long way of saying I'm more, more into Singletary than I'm into Moss, I think Moss is, is the bright, shiny object that people are foisting a lot, of, uh, a lot of energy into. But he's not expensive in drafts, so I don't mind getting them both or I don't mind if I didn't get Singletary, still getting Moss, I think it's, it's perfectly fine. Uh, since I didn't realize, you know, I kind of sleeper is in the eye of the beholder. I'll throw a couple more names into the hat. Just the Chiefs guys, the Chiefs. It, it seems like there isn't a draft that goes by that I don't take DeAndre Washington. And then I'm almost sometimes feel compelled to get Darwin Thompson also. It depends on the draft format. It's maybe a lot to spend your 13th on one guy and your 14th on another. And yet, uh, this is really not to slight Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's just to say it's a potentially incredibly valuable scenario. I don't imagine that I need my 13th round pick to have a lot of standalone value in week one anyway. And let's just see. Let's, in this year of all years, getting a bunch of Chiefs and let's just see how not only how the rookie with no mini camp and no training camp and no exhibition season does, but also let's just see how many players per week are not available to play and if Edwards Lair is unlucky enough to be one of those guys and I'm sitting on DeAndre Washington and the problem of course is we don't, it could be Daryl Williams. Like we don't really know what the actual solution is, but I'm often willing to just go ahead and stash first DeAndre Washington and then, and then Darwin Thompson. Hope you're enjoying this great action network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the locked on podcast network. Locked on has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you. Locked on 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome everybody to the locked on Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked on podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search locked on your favorite team. Subscribe to your locked on podcast. So from the camp reports, it looks like um, Williams is still going to have that role as last year. So he'll, and it looks like um, Thompson and Washington are kind of competing for who's going to be active uh, on game day. But you know the camp reports are not real, right? Yeah. You're, you're well, aware of the fact that it's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> it's just nonsense. It's garbage. Well, like, yeah, but I mean, in that situation, out. in that situation, you're just looking for like what the team is actually doing. You know, like if, if Williams is sure, taking the second not, team rest. Chris, they're not doing like, anything. They're not doing anything right now. <laughs> it changes every week with Andy Reid anyway. What was right. Daryl Williams' role? Anyway, was it the occasional goal line carry every other week? It's, 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 it's the most annoying role to anyone who owns any chief in the history of football because no matter which chief you own, if Darrell Williams scores the touchdown, you are not happy. Anthony Sherman. Oh, oh yeah, he's, he's about it. He's on that level too. You know, of course, the added complication is Damian Williams not being there, right? Because the answer to that question about who you wanted in Kansas City last year sure did change. You know, at first it looked like it was going to be LeSean McCoy, for heaven's sake, you know, for, for much of last season. And then he winds up playing like two snaps in the postseason. Like, you're right, they can change their mind as they go or as someone fumbles or whatever. Like, it, it feels like it would be a pretty clear, uh, I, I want Edward Solaire and then I want Damian Williams and I wouldn't need to worry about anybody else and what a relief that is. And with no Damian Williams, other guys are going to wind up being relevant at some point. But you're right, it's tough to predict which. If Daryl Williams plays the Mike Tolbert role in this offense, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose it. 
But uh, <laughs> we haven't spent enough time talking about running backs who don't matter. So uh, I want to mention two more guys. Uh, Duke Johnson is someone who uh, perpetually disappoints me because I think that, you know, finally this could be the year in which he, he finally breaks out. But he has a locked-in role in the offense as a receiving back. It's a good offense. And the one guy ahead of him on the depth chart right now, David Johnson, is someone I really don't have a lot of faith in to stay healthy or to be effective. So I I think there are multiple ways in which somehow it could work out for Duke Johnson to get his shot. And it's a similar perspective I have with another guy, Damian Harris, uh, who, you know, has gotten a lot of hype and I don't know if all of it is warranted. I still think that, you know, if Sony, can I answer that that question? It's, it's not all warranted. Just proceed. I mean, yeah, assuming, (laughs) assuming that Sony Michelle is actually healthy, you know, in week one, I imagine that he would be the guy who leads the backfield as the between the tackles grinder. But, you know, Michelle, who knows if he's actually going to be healthy for week one? Who knows if he stays healthy for the season? And who knows if he's actually effective? He, well, he wasn't all that effective of a runner last year. So it wouldn't be surprising if he does this year something similar to what he did last year if another back at some point were to get an opportunity. And I think if that happens, it would be Damian Harris. Can I ask what makes you think? I mean, they signed Lamar Miller too. Damian Harris has eight snaps in his NFL career. And yes. you loved him in college, okay? But like, I, I sure didn't. It's much, more, it's much more of a projection. With yeah. Lamar Miller, I kind of look at him as the, uh, you know, the, the veteran who gets signed to get cut at the end of training camp and, and maybe there's, you know, the opportunity that he catches on, but he doesn't do much for, for special teams. And Harris is a guy they invested a top hundred pick in last year. Uh, he wasn't a dynamic playmaker at Alabama, but I think he at least has a, a three down skill set. And maybe, maybe you disagree with me, but I mean, I think he can be good <laughs> enough catching the ball out of the backfield and better uh, than James White as a runner. Uh, almost kind of like the younger version of Rex Burkhead, you know, so maybe he ends up getting the shot. Uh, I mean, I think he's the younger, I think he's the younger version of Sony Michelle. To be, to be honest, I feel like they drafted another Sony Michelle, but yeah, I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. Maybe I'm a little jaded, but I'm so, not, I'm not a big fan of the, the Damian Harris pick. And they obviously didn't feel they invested a top 100 pick in him last year and didn't feel obliged to use him. So I don't know. Here, here's the one thing I will push back on, on just a little bit. You know, I think it was almost 10 years ago. We saw them invest top 100 picks in, in Shane Vereen and Steven Ridley, and neither one really did much as a rookie, you know, because they were playing behind Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis and Danny Woodhead. And then in, in year two, they got their shots. And so I think that's kind of the trajectory. If I'm making the bullish case for, for Damian Harris as a guy that you can get pretty late in drafts, that's the case is that, you know, we do have the precedent of the Patriots investing probably way more in a running back than they needed to at the time. And then basically benching those guys, mothballing them for a year and then giving them opportunity in year two. Like the one thing with, with Friedman's kind of two two guys, like I really like the Duke call. And, and the reason I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Chris, on the, the Harris is it's kind of a math problem, right? When it, when it comes to snaps and uh, in Houston, Duke Johnson and David Johnson are going to be the only two guys getting touches. Buddy Howell is going to be active for special teams at the third back. And sometimes they have a fullback gap who doesn't get touches. So like just from a probability standpoint, there's just such a, a better chance of Duke Johnson emerging in that backfield um, due to due to injury or just due to you know playing well, um, whereas in New England you have James White and you have Sony Michelle and you have Rex Burkhead ahead of Harris, and then you have a situation where like at this point Michelle may be the sweeper, and it kind of goes back to what I said about you know Ronald Jones and why I think the buzz in Tampa is just getting a little bit too out of control is because it's kind of a similar situation where there's three guys and Arians has kind of you know shown that you know Agumba Wale or is is a guy that he's going to use in pass. Uh, blocking quite a bit they, that's the guy they trust then you have the situation of the three tight ends so they're not going to use the tight ends to block they are all good pass catchers um, and so you just have the situation where Jones's receiving upside is going to be capped because you're going to have you know him coming out the most on pass downs and him blocking a lot when he isn't on pass downs whereas Duke has like this like this great situation where when he's in the game he's going to be catching the ball uh the 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 running back in front of him is uh injury prone and kind of just broken at this point and so just uh, a lot to like uh with Duke and I think the same is true of Boston Scott um not not that any nothing is wrong with Miles Sanders but um Corey Clement if you just kind of look at the snaps last year and kind of read between the lines he was active in four games he played uh, 60 something snaps uh or in three came on offense and the rest came on special teams. So that to me, and then Boston Scott, he played 
more on offense than he played on special teams once he was active. It kind of shows you what they think of those two guys. Uh, Corey Clement was like two Super Bowls ago. I, I don't I don't know why I have to end up being the stand for Corey Clement because it's not as if I really want to be. The thing you're not is, gonna draft. You're not talking about drafting. I'm not talking really. about you're drafting talking about him. He's in the mix and in the way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that he's he, not in the mix though. Like he doesn't. He didn't play when he was active. It's not like it's not like he got hurt and like he was active and didn't play. And then when Howard was active and Scott was active, Howard didn't play. There's an underappreciated chance that Corey Clement comes in and takes too much of the usage, and then Sanders just evaporates. No, in that's terms, ridiculous. In terms of that's worse than Aaron people, Jones take. And, and, that's no, worse ter- than AJ no, Dillon take. In terms of the value people think they might be getting out of oh, Sanders this year, I'm just saying, Corey Clement, <laughs> like you cannot discount the chaos into right. where might throw that back. Right. I, I, it plays into the you can't trust Doug Peterson, right? I have no doubt that Corey Clement can potentially go off any given week. His career best game was JHIE's debut. I mean, that's just that goes into the Eagles running back situation. So I kind of agree with Friedman in the case that we don't know. I mean, Corey Clement might blow up the occasional week, but at, at this point, you know, it, it does seem like Boston Scott is the guy that they actually trust in that number two. No, nah, no, nah, I'm saying it right now so that I get the credit when he has zero carries for zero yards every week he's active. All right. <laughs> I, I'm the one, I bet I'm the only one of the four of us who doesn't have Miles Sanders as a first-round pick, so – you know, every year, and this kind of goes into your point about ADP, Chris, there is this part of ADP where rankings don't do it justice, right? So it's like, I have, uh, I think, like, Austin Eckler as my RB8, and, like, in, uh, like, uh, like Jacobs or somebody is, like, my RB15, and Sanders, like, in 14, and it's like, I have really no difference between those guys, you know what I mean? Right, but right. but it's, not, like it's, my, it's flat. Yeah. And, yeah. and ADP is kind of the same thing, it's like, a lot of questions come up, like, who, you know, I don't want to get that, that running back wrong at like the end of the first, early, second round. And it's like, you can't really get it wrong. Just take one of those guys. Like, come on. I mean, you, you could get it wrong. You could, you know, take the guy who's going to seed carries to Corey Clement. That's, that's one way. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, with you, though. Oh, I mean, I don't no. know about the Corey Clement part, but I don't want, I don't want Miles Sanders. So no. I'm, I'm, let's talk about some potential sleeper wide receivers. Uh, Chris, anyone who catches your eye? I'll start with Deontay Johnson. Mid-round yeah. guy, right? Well, it's not a late-round guy, but there was nobody who coming out of the film-watching process this summer whose rank I elevated more after the film-watching than Deontay Johnson. I'm a pretty big fan. I, I don't know that he's ever Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, but I think he could be T.Y. Hilton in Pittsburgh. Like, he's... I don't, no one's going to com- complain about the speed. He's very, very fast. But he came into the league with just knowing how to be open. He's straight ahead fast more than he's like, he's a fine cutter, right? Fine open field player, but not that guy who just gets open with three steps and you can't literally stay with him. And yet just seem to know when to settle down. Like a, a lot of things that rookies struggle with, he didn't really struggle with right away. It was funny to watch Stiller film last year. It felt like James Washington was more still the rookie and Deontay Johnson was more like the polished veteran. So Juju is, is there. And again, if you, if you offer them to me for the same price, I want Juju, but you, but you can't, you don't. I think Juju is probably going too high for a myriad of reasons if you'd like to talk about it at some point. Um, so so I'll, I'll take Deontay Johnson as like a reserve, as like my wide receiver four or five all day long. You know, you know Chris, I actually would like the, uh, the Juju take. What are your okay. thoughts on Juju? He's basically being valued pretty close to last year. He's, whereas a lot of people are being punished for their for their poor performance. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is being punished for his poor performance. And Juju isn't. And I understand why. Roethlisberger wasn't there. Well, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I've seen other receivers have good seasons. I mean, Kenny Galladay kept producing after Matthew Stafford was, was out. DJ Moore produced with no Cam Newton. And Juju eventually got hurt, but had a bunch of weeks there where he looked not very good at football. And uh, there's also the sense that he's not going to be back, that they won't be able to afford him. He's going somewhere else. They may have drafted the replacements already. And then the conversation we were having about him last year was coming off this amazing season as the second banana, not getting the defensive attention. Could he play outside a little bit more? I think what we learned was no. Like he pretty much needs to play in the slot. Super fun player. Like I call him Heinz Ward Jr. He's like, he's, he's super fun. Like I like him a lot, but it's weird to me that we take some players' results on, with extenuating circumstances like Le'Veon Bell and we punish the hell out of them. And then others with extenuating circumstances and we're just like, oh, we're just going to, eh, Roethlisberger's back. Eh, he's going to be fine. Like, no, no worries at all. We'll go right back to treating him as like wide receiver 13, which I think is too high. All right. Uh, in- interesting take there. I like the, the Deontay Johnson uh, call. And I, I do, I mean, 
you never want to compare anyone to an all-time great and Antonio Brown is an all-time great, but I think there are shades of uh, Antonio and I think kind of in the way that he plays. And also at the combine, it's not as if Deontay Johnson was really all that fast, but there's something about the way that he plays. I think he has, I think he has sort of like playing speed and that's similar to Antonio Brown who didn't tear up the combine, but on the field, actually looked you know much faster than than he timed uh and you know Deontay Johnson like you don't want to say that uh the Steelers did it twice but I mean there's there's a chance that they did Antonio Brown had like league best speed and league best quickness in one body completely uncoverable that's really not Deontay Johnson not yet I mean, maybe yeah. you could argue Antonio Brown those first couple of years wasn't Antonio Brown yet but that's where I get the T.Y. Hilton comparison for because you know, Hilton probably t- tested faster, but I think they play similarly fast. And Hilton has never been the dude who dances around a million people. He just sort of, he's going to run like a little in cut that turns into an out cut and they just somehow aren't with him. And he's open 25 yards down the field and catches the missile at the side. Like he's just open, you know, and I feel like that's hopefully what Johnson is. I think that's actually a great call on Johnson because I don't think people are as excited about him, but um, if there's been one kind of edge in, in fantasy, uh, when it comes to wide receivers, it's that just in an indiscriminately invest in guys entering year two and you won't hit on all of them. Some guys will just, you know, you'll, you'll be upset, but there, a lot of them are going a lot cheaper than their upside. They're still kind of going in this mid range. So I, and Deontay is perfectly in that wheelhouse where he's cheap. He's going outside the top 30. So you don't really have to draft him as a starter. And right. like, there is an outside shot that he could be on Antonio Brownish, at least in the numbers, because as you said, Chris, Juju has struggled as the number one guy, and I actually love that 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 point. That's a great that's a great point there. And uh, Chris, any other wide receivers who catch your eye? So um, among the rookies right now, Brandon Ayuk struck me before the the San Francisco carnage, before Debo broke his foot or anything like that. Ayuk almost struck me as a Debo Samuel clone in that his adaptation in this weirdest of years would maybe be a little easier than others because. He's probably not coming into, maybe he's never going to be a technician. Like he's not coming into, he's much more of what Debo is. Like just get him the ball, figure out a way to have him run a little five yard cross, get the ball in his hands and watch out. Let him be AJ Brown, Michael Gallup, Chris Godwin, that kind of like crusher in the open field. And now that the depth chart is just like parting like the Red Sea, you know, feels, you know, Jalen Hurd gets hurt and Debo Samuel, they're not really coming out and saying it, but it seems like he's going to miss a good, maybe all of September, maybe more. Like we'll see. Ayuk is cheap. You don't have to take him to anything close to a starter, but I'm, he's not the rookie receiver who has the most upside this year or in his career, but of all of those maybe top seven drafted receivers, to me, he's the one who I can see having to make the least jump for what he probably will eventually wind up being, which will always kind of be a second banana, scary, you know, find, find pockets in the zone. What Chris Godwin has turned into, Godwin's not a great man beater, but he doesn't need to be because nobody can tackle him in the open field. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there on Ayuk. Uh, I think people haven't been quick enough to move him up their rankings based on the, uh, the Debo Samuel injuries. And then also just injuries to, to other guys, Jalen Hurd out for the year. I think there's just a lot of opportunity uh, in the wide receiver unit. Sean, who stands out to you at wide receiver? So the, the two sleepers I picked are, are more boring guys. They're, they probably have a higher floor ceiling combo than people realize. So, you know, rounds three through six, I'm drafting the high upside um, younger receivers like Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, Terry McLaurin, those kind of guys. So I think getting a guy like Al Lazard to sort of fill out your uh, bench depth um, at wide receiver 62 makes sense. Um, you know, with him, you know, we've talked about the Packers' terrible offseason at length, um, how they only really added uh, Devin Funches, and then he opted out. So I think people just need to realize that Lazard's basically locked into the number two role. There's questions whether it's going to be Kumaro or Valdez-Scantling as the wide, wide receiver three, but I mean, Rodgers trusts Lazard. He already played with him uh, quite a bit last year. Um, so Lazard will be entering year three. His second year is a full-time player. Raybon just mentioned it. Those are the kind of players that do kind of break out, um, and people tend to overlook that a bit. Um, we still don't know what, what the hell's going on with their tight end situation either. So th- there's just room for a ton of targets. Um, you're also betting on a motivated Aaron Rodgers um, who, who might be more willing to throw touchdowns this year. So I, I think Lazard's a smart uh, bench stash this year. Uh, and the other guy is Marvin Jones. Uh, he's wide receiver 36 right now. You know, what, what you see is what you get with him. He's, he's turning 30 this season. He's not the sexiest pick. 
nobody goes into the draft wanting to draft Marvin Jones, myself included, but he does provide just some stability in that range. I mean, he was the wide receiver 15 uh, weeks one through nine last year when Stafford was healthy. So, you know, if they can continue that chemistry in this year, you know, he's going to stick out like a, a sore thumb at wide receiver 36. So I would add him as bench depth. And then if he gets off to a fast start, he would be a guy I'd probably flip for somebody else. But I think just getting wide res- uh, Marvin Jones at wide receiver 36 is criminal right now. And I understand why is because people don't want to be drafting him this year. But I- I'm saying he's a sleeper uh, because he does provide value there. I mean, a couple of thoughts on this. One, uh, I'm, I'm with you on Marvin Jones. On a points-per-game basis, he was very close to Kenny Galladay last year. It's not to say that what he did is projectable over the, the full 16 games, but uh, they were much closer than I think a, a lot of people would give Jones credit for. And then, too, uh, Sean, we do know what's happening with the, the tight end situation for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sure we will talk about that in a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, Raybon, uh, who are you looking at for wide receivers? Yeah, so I, I love that call on, on Marvin Jones, too, because it goes back to the, what I, I talked about with Stafford. Um, you know, the, the scheme change with Bevel and going downfield, going from, you know, one of the lowest rates in the week to the highest um, has completely flipped that. Jones is going to be pretty predictable because he's a guy that historically, when he's been on the field, has not come off the field at all. Like, so in terms of like your routes run per drop back, you know, some receivers, like even Julio Jones, he'll, he'll miss about 15% of the plays in a given game. Um, Marvin mm-hmm. Jones has been out there every single snap. You know, that's why some people are worried about Cooper Cup because um, last year, like I'm not, but you know, so, so Jones is um, like, he's a guy that when I, I, I do my projections, he comes up as like the wide receiver 20. And I think my model's like broken and I'm like, wait, and I'm like, <laughs> but it's, can I just mention that's totally true. He scores touchdowns. He has his entire career. He's that dude always lines up on the right side. He runs a fly pattern. He, he, that dude must run wind sprints all freaking <laughs> summer because yeah. he, run, he runs a fly pattern half the time and he's, he's fast. He's open. He's tall and he's fast. Like he does when he's out there, he scores. He's, he has a top 10 receiver season in his career. Absolutely. So yeah, I, that, I love that call on, on Marvin Jones. You know, I've talked about Will Fuller already. I think he's going uh, too late in, in drafts and at the point where you really need to take a risk um, or, or you can, you should be taking risks. And uh, I think Fuller has, you know, top 10 uh, in his range of outcomes, I'll say pr- as long as he's healthy, you know, and, and that's what people are going to worry about. But, um, you know, projecting missed games beyond like, you know, missing like additional like two than two more, three more than, than the average. Um, you really can't do with any accuracy. So um, I would invest in four. And then there is some of those second year guys, you know, that, that showed a lot of promise last year. You already mentioned Deontay Johnson, Darius Slayton, a, a guy who despite uh, what looks like a lot of talent in New York uh, could absolutely lead them in air yards and air yards are the way for a lot of these sleeper receivers that you're going to outproduce the guys drafted above them that are a little bit safer uh you know projected for a little more receiving volume it's going to be the big plays that come with the air yards and kind of getting it all at once and not needing uh, quite as many targets to do your damage so um i love the um darius slayton for that reason Michael Pittman is a rookie I really like in in Indianapolis. I think, you know, we're kind of overlooking him a little bit, but um, he's pretty much going to lock into that, that, you know, perimeter role on the outside uh, opposite T.Y. Hilton. So he's going to have Hilton drawing coverage. He's going to have a quarterback in Phillip Rivers that while he has struggled kind of like Jameis Winston, um, you know, with, with throwing some picks uh, and the Colts do have a very easy schedule. I know Sean um, has talked about that, but uh, he's going to be on the field and he's kind of like that Mike Williams that guy for, for Rivers. So um, I think he's going to, and he's very talented. So I think he's going to get a lot of uh, a chance to, to, uh, to kind of put up similar numbers, like, you know, high yards per catch and, uh, and get in the end zone. You won't get a lot of yards after the catch, but you could catch it like 15, 20 yards downfield each time. Um, and then McCole Hardman, you know, with the Chiefs, uh, just number one in fantasy points per target last year. Uh, amazing opportunity. And, 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 you know, I like, I like Sammy Watkins too, but Sammy Watkins is kind of their possession guy at this point. And, and so, like, the higher upside opportunities tend to fall to – to guys like Hardman, um, even though they'll get less targets. Uh, Deshaun Jackson in Philly and, and Rager, um, both of those guys, high air yards guys. Uh, if you like Wentz, as Sean mentioned, you should like those guys. And Preston Williams in Miami, uh, actually targeted on a higher basis uh, rate per, per route run than, than Devontae Parker when they were both healthy. So, uh, you know, we, a lot of people like Parker, and, and, and I think he's going where he should, but uh, Preston Williams is actually the value there. Uh, in Miami so like him and, then, and like a, a later one and it's more of a full PPR one but um, with the new coaching regime in Washington and all of the injuries 
Uh, I think Steven Sims actually is, offers some value because he's probably going to be there every down. Um, you know, he's going to kind of play in a little inside, a little outside. You can scheme up some touches to him. He could be a guy that just catches like five balls a game just because, out of sheer necessity that we just had no – we weren't – we didn't even see coming. Raymond, you just talked about like 10 guys. I feel, hey, like, I feel like someone at a buffet who's standing behind <laughs> you in line and just waiting for you to walk through as you just pile more food onto your plate. And, and oh, yeah. there's nothing left. There's I want to eat. There's literally nothing left for me to talk about because you've talked about all of the wide receivers. So probably, and also probably like seven of them make sure you only get one like don't take all of the all of the guys who are yeah the the, the yardage might look good the Robbie Anderson yardage might look good at the end of the year but it's only going to be useful in four games yeah you gotta be careful oh, I don't want Robbie Anderson's. like I, no these are the guys like honestly these are the guys I pointed out are actually because I think they can be consistent on a week to week so like a, a lot of people won't. I mean well, Deshaun Jackson you think Deshaun Jackson can be consistent on a week-to-week basis Yep, because here's the thing. Here's, no, no, listen, listen. Like, he, he's Sean like, Jackson, though. Everything like, you're about to say is, is no, countered by the fact that his brain doesn't work. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I can't argue with that, but no, no. Sean Jackson's or Chris Raybon's? Uh, oh, no, Raybon's great. Raybon's great. Hey, hey we, might, we might be on the same level. No, but no, seriously. So the reason I mentioned so many guys and the reason I, I chose those guys in particular is because people think too much about their early round picks and about who to take in like round two and round three. And you can't really win the draft in those rounds. You can lose it. But a lot of people start getting sloppy or just not knowing exactly what to do or, or, you know, just kind of are a little lost when they get to the later rounds. And so I think it is important to kind of point out these guys that, um, can be ADP and not only be ADP, Chris, because as you, it's a really good point and also be consistent. And the reason for different reasons, I pointed out different guys, like, Deshaun Jackson in Philly, the reason I think he can be consistent is because, because you have air yards that are up for grabs. Like, regardless of the other guys, like Ertz and Goddard, like, you need air. And it's, it's the same reason why a guy like a, a Kenny Galladay or somebody like that can be consistent in Detroit, even though he's not like, – or, or Tyler Rockett even in, in Seattle, for the most part, is consistent. Um, because they're getting high-value targets. And, you know, we haven't seen a big sample of Deshaun back in Philly, so there's a lot of uncertainty. But Alshon Jeffrey is nowhere to be found. I liked every name that you said. There wasn't a single name that you said of the buffet that I didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. I just wouldn't want people to load up on all those guys, right? All that kind of player. All the Meikle Hardman, Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson, uh, the, the boom-bust week-by-week guys. And it's possible Meikle Hardman we haven't seen enough. Uh, I mean, we really haven't seen much of Meikle Hardman. I mean, he's, he played offense for a month, and then he played special teams. But I'm, I just drafted him earlier today in a CBS draft. I, I like taking Miko Hardman, maybe partly because it's the unknown of maybe he can transcend the feast famine, the Demarcus Robinson, you know, nonsense where you go, oh my God, I got to pick him up. Oh, he doesn't do anything for four weeks in a row. So, some of the players that you mentioned probably can't and Sean Jackson is chief, chief among them, no pun intended. <laughs> okay, so one guy I want to mention quickly before we get to tight ends. Uh, LaVis Christian-Alt is someone who stands out. He uh, is big. He's fast. If he hadn't been injured at the combine, I think he could have been drafted in the first round. Uh, and relative to all of the guys who were drafted in the first round, uh, in college he was fantastic against uh, man coverage uh, and also uh, you know, was at the top of the board with 3.5 yards per route run, uh, similar to C.D. Lamb, similar to Jerry Judy. So I think there's a lot of untapped uh, potential with Chenault, uh, given the situation uh, in, in, uh, in Jacksonville, in which they could have to throw the ball quite a bit. Uh, okay, for the sake of the producer who's going to have to edit this show, we're going to be <laughs> fairly quick when it comes to tight, tight ends and tight, uh, tight ends. some of the, the sleepers that we want to talk about. Chris, who stands out to you? So th- th- it's such a silly conversation. We can go so fast on tight ends because everyone – Everyone outside the top six, eight, whatever, has a chance. All the young, freaky, athletic, and none of, none of us sitting here are going to be able to tell you who it is, but don't take an early tight end because there's so many of them and someone's going to turn into Darren Waller. So I'll give you like TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Those are the two that I have tended to wind up with because I like, their, I like what they flashed. I like their ability, but you guys are going to say other names too and, and I'm going to be fine with every single one of them. Uh, the, the point would be like, Pick your poison, pick one, pick two, depending on your league format, and then be ready to bail and try another one because some of them are going to wind up hitting because there's so many athletes out there at tight end. Yeah, Fant, Hawkinson, both of them have tremendous upside. Sean, who are the guys you were looking at? Yeah, I, first off, I agree with Chris. I think that whole tier has the, the league-winning potential. 
Um, and I think that the guy that I've been targeting the most out of that tier lately has been Dallas Goddard. Uh, I think, you know, people, uh, I think they get a bit backwards where, you know, they say Zach Ertz limits his ceiling, which is absolutely true. Um, you know, heading into week one, Goddard, will, he'll probably be my tight end 12 to 14. So, yeah, when, when Ertz is healthy, Goddard's a low-end tight end one kind of streamer guy. But when Ertz misses time, Goddard's going to be a potential top five tight end. Um, so I think just people get it backwards where I think Ertz actually elevates his ceiling because his lack of presence makes him such a, uh, you know, league winner that no other tight end has that kind of built-in upside while also providing, you know, low-end tight end one uh, floor. So that, that's why I kind of like to load up on Dallas Goddard. The other guy that's kind of in a situation like that is Irv Smith. Um, so this is for, you know, deeper leagues, best ball, or, you know, just pay attention on the waiver wire. But, you know, there, there's a lot of targets available now that, uh, Diggs is gone and you know the Vikings run a lot of two tight end sets with uh, Irv and Rudolph. Rudolph is much more the the blocker now and Irv is going to be the pass catching tight end so he's the kind of guy where entering year two um, he has definitely has breakout potential uh, and could become Cousins number two target um, so I, I think Irv Smith is another guy that you should consider in, in deeper leagues. Rayvon who you got? So I do agree with the point that there's something to like about every one of those tight ends outside the top eight, but I disagree that like that makes them the optimal tier to draft from because I think that because of, I can't really differentiate between them at this point, it's not valuable to me because I have to compete with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and Mark Andrews, who I think will have a monster year and a very steady uh, Zach Ertz. And so I don't want to be like swapping in and out tight ends um, the way I would a quarterback if I went late round quarterback because quarterbacks are a lot more predictable. You can there's you know wh- however your process is whether it's just kind of um, you know looking at the matchups or it's using you know your your Vegas numbers or it's you know whatever you do it's not it's hard to find a quarterback and and have a reasonable level of success streaming. But with tight end you know it's there's so much variance there. So like the sleeper to me is a guy who can like actually you know, not just like finish with like a top eight season that's going like 13th, but who can actually finish top four um, and get those five catches a game and, and approximate like a Kelsey or, or an Ertz. And the only guy that I really see that can do that, that, that sometimes slips is, is Hayden Hurst because he's going to go into that Austin Hooper role um, where Hooper averaged 5.8 catches a game. And uh, another thing with these tight ends, is it's just sheer math. It's just routes, right? A lot of these tight ends that we like, are on teams that just they have decent defenses and they just might not throw enough for it, this to be relevant like I love Johnny Smith I think he has a chance to be like the number two target in Tennessee but might not get enough to, uh you know routes um same thing for Fant even in, in Denver but Hurst the Falcons threw 51 times in any other team and they might not do that quite as much this year but their defense is still shaky so they still project to be near the top of the week so um, for sleepers, that's my guy. And, you know, obligatory Dan Arnold mentioned for deeper leagues. He's the tight end four that will finish the low end tight end two. Um, you know, and Will Disley has never been bad when he's been on the field. So, hey, if he's going to be active week one, I'm just saying DFS showdown slate or something, man. You know, um, you know, don't forget Will Disley in Seattle. All right. One guy I want to mention is Chris Herndon, who – was awesome as a rookie, just in terms of the uh, production that he had on a per opportunity basis. And then obviously did nothing last year. Uh, It was a lost season due to suspension and then injury. And maybe we see nothing out of him this year because that combination of Adam Gase and Sam Darnold, maybe that's just not the combination you want for a, a young developing tight end. But I think there's going to be some opportunity in that after Jamison Crowder in the slot, and then after Le'Veon Bell uh, coming out of the backfield, there isn't all that much established target competition. Denzel Mims, as a rookie coming in, he might not be able to catch on, and he's you know been dealing with injuries. Rashad Perryman coming from Tampa Bay, maybe it takes him a while to really learn the offense. So I think there's opportunity there for Herndon, and he at least has some sort of prior connection with Sam Darnold. So he's someone available late that uh, I am looking at. All right, Chris, what do you have going on at Harris Football that people should check out? Yeah, HarrisFootball.com. You can see ranks. You can see, I, you know, I do five podcasts a week because I'm crazy. Uh, once the season starts, I will be watching every single game because I'm crazy and talking about every single game on the show and what I saw and what I think it means. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, so we also break down a lot of film on what happened and why a person is or isn't going to continue a hot streak or, or be a good waiver ad or whatever. And, uh, yeah. and if, everything's at HarrisFootball.com. 
All right. And uh, you can follow Christopher on Twitter at Harris Football. On our next NFL episode, we'll break down our favorite season-long player props for 2020. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt at the Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.